going on? How about that? There we go. Um, so please, 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 it's really hot. I'm cool. Like, I'm not distracted. I have three kids under five. It's really hard to distract me. Feel free to get up and get some water. Very hard to distract me. You can try. Won't work. Will not work. Double dog dare you. Um, and if you need to just get up and walk around or go out, the, you know, hang out by a window, don't worry about it. Just stay cool. Don't worry about it. Um, we will be in Psalm 110. This will be our last sermon in the Psalms. We've done three of them. And then this summer, for the rest of the summer, we're going to be in, there's a hymn in Colossians chapter 1 that just talks about the supremacy of who Jesus is and how awesome he is. And we're going to kind of go back and forth. So I'll preach one, and then one of our other preachers will preach one. Pastor Joe will be up after that. And then uh, Brian Geisler is going to preach, and Eric's going to preach. And we're going to kind of work through that together. And, and we're just going to take it piece by piece to look at how awesome Jesus is. So I'm super duper hyped for that. Um, I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we will dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day. You are the Lord. I just thank you, God, for the fact that we get to come together, that most of us in this room wouldn't even be friends if it weren't for you. That's who you are and what you've done. That's how you're working in the world to make us a family. I thank you for that reality, Jesus. I thank you that we're your people because of what you have done. I thank you that the main thing that we have in common together is you. I pray for our city that we would welcome people into the reality of who you are, that they would know we're not just trying to get them to follow some rules, but we're trying to introduce them to you. And you're the king of everything. I thank you that someday we will be together worshiping you forever. And that that, that tapestry of peoples that will be there from every tribe and every tongue will be there celebrating you, King Jesus. We long for that day. We look forward to that day. And we just thank you that right now we're yours because of your cross. And there's nothing that we have done to be here. And in fact, the more I think about even just being here, the more I realize it's your grace upon grace on our lives. So Jesus, I just pray you'd send me your spirit. It's hot. You've made it hot. You're the king. And we're okay with that. Uh, please help us to stay focused and hear your voice together today as your people. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, okay, so we'll be in Psalm 110. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. And Psalm 110, honestly, if you take the Bible and you split it, it's almost right in the middle. Um, that won't work on your telephone if you're using a phone for your Bible. But in a Bible, it will. Either's fine. Um, okay, so here, here's the deal. Here, here's my heart. Here's my hope for us as a people. This is my heart and my hope for Anchor Church, and I think we can't say this enough. My heart and my hope for us as a people is that at the core of who I am and what I want for my own life and what I want for your life is, is a, a deep, abiding love for Jesus, a white-hot, passionate worship of Jesus, seeing Jesus for who He is, knowing that He's the King of everything. He's the one who saved us. He's the point of our lives, and, and, and that, that is the thing that drives our lives I want us to be a disciple-making church. I want you to read the Bible with other people and teach other people to read the Bible. I want you to be ferocious, ferociously kind evangelists with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. I want them to know who Jesus is because you carry the message of God's love to them. I want them to know. I want to be a church that plants other churches in Seattle. I want there to be more communities in this city where people are worshiping Jesus and loving the city and sharing the message of who He is. But if we try and do any of those things apart from a love for Jesus and a white-hot passion for Him, they're nothing. They're nothing. It's a Bible reading program. It's five steps where you scare your neighbor and you say, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? Don't do that one, by the way. 
doesn't work anymore. It used to work, right? That it's just, we got to plant more churches because that's what churches are supposed to do. I want these things to happen for us as the love of who Jesus is and how much we love him fills us up and pours on out. And this is the expression of how those things work. Okay? And so for us to do that, what we need to do is we need to recognize that there are deep abiding truths about who he is that are logs that can be thrown on the fire of worship. That can be thrown on our hearts that when we're even not feeling it, because there are times when you don't feel it. There are times when you don't feel like He's risen from the dead. There are times when you don't feel like He paid the price for all of your sin. There are times when you don't feel reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. But here's the truth. We have a God of truth and not feeling. And that even when you don't feel reconciled to God because of His cross, you are. And sometimes you just need someone, brother or sister in Christ, to just tell you that, right? You know you're forgiven for... You know Jesus loves you, right? That's why we sing that song here. It's not just a kid song. It's not just a kid song. Okay? And so today as we look to Psalm 110, uh, there are a couple logs in here. Jesus is the King. And Jesus is the High Priest. And those are logs that when we see who He is, we put them on the fire and it stokes our heart for worship. Another way to put it is that Jesus is transcendent, holy, perfect, ruler of all things. And He's eminent, present with us, ministering to us. And I think this is so crucial. If you don't know Jesus and you're here today... These are great things you need to know because I think some of the stuff that can actually put us off or at least put me off from who Jesus was before I knew him was that it felt like either he's transcendent, he's kind of deist clockmaker, he's far off, maybe he got this thing going, but he's out there and doesn't really care about me, and we miss that, that he's also eminent. Or he can be so eminent where we sort of have this idea that Jesus is just a nice guy who had long hair and Birkenstocks, you know? And when we think of that guy, he always looks Norwegian, right? Not Jesus. If you're Norwegian, that's cool. It's just, he wasn't. <laughs> okay? That we kind of have almost this like buddy Jesus who's just cool with whatever we do all the time. But, but I need you to see if that's your idea of who Jesus is, that he's a king and he's transcendent. And if Jesus is just, or God, just God and a lot of times it's just God. It's just like white beard guy, God, off in the distance. That he's also eminent in the person of Christ. Let's go ahead and dig into Psalm 110. And there's three things I want us to see in Psalm 110. So we're going to kind of go through Psalm 110 kind of quick so you can get a sense of the psalm. And then we're going to talk about the implications that it has for our life. But three things I want us to see. Jesus is the answer for every human problem. Jesus is the answer for our human problems. Number two, Jesus is sovereign king. And number three, Jesus is the kingly priest. And as we unpack me, like, kingly priest? What do I care about a kingly priest? I have a president and a pastor. A priest, what are you talking We'll get there, okay? So just work with me. We'll start in 110. You guys are doing good for how hot it is. Uh, 110, starting in verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Okay? Paul is the most ferocious quoter of the New Testament of the Old Testament in the New Testament. A third of what he quotes is Psalms, so they're important, and this one is the one that's quoted more than anything. The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit in my right hands until I make your enemies a footstool." So who's writing? Right? You got to know where we're at. We're hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. Okay? So that's where we're at in this story. God made everything good. We broke it. He made a promise to fix it. And David is writing sort of in that interim of that fixed thing. Okay? 
And, and the, Old, the New Testament constantly comes back to David, the king, who's writing this and says he's a prophet. He's speaking prophetic. If you're, uh, conservative is the wrong word, but the, if, you're, if you're going as few as possible in the Psalms that are foretelling of Jesus, you get to 12. You get to twos like my teacher Ray Lubeck at Multnomah, and he thinks it's 150. Okay? Because there's 150 Psalms. Um, even the guys who only think there's a couple say, yeah, this one is about Jesus. The Lord says to my Lord. That's weird and repetitive. The Lord says to my Lord. Uh, two words, if you would nerd out with me for a moment. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. That's the proper name for God, Yahweh. That's his name. It's what he likes to be called, Yahweh. Adonai. Okay? The Lord says to, the, Yahweh says to Adonai. And now Adonai can mean uh, like ruler guy. It can also mean something else. So David's doing one of two things. Um, the thing you have to understand about ancient Near Eastern uh, patriarchs, if you think about them very often, you probably don't. Here's the thing you need to know about ancient Near Eastern patriarchs like David. They bow the knee to no one. They call nobody Lord. Nobody. Except for God. But here he did it twice. The Lord says to my Lord. Yahweh says to Adonai. So David's calling this guy, the second Lord, his Lord. Uh, one of the mega themes of the Old Testament, which we're in right now in Psalm 110, is this, there's, there's going to be a guy who's going to come and he's going to be a suffering servant and a triumphal king and he's the one that God's going to send to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Does that sound like anybody you've ever heard of in the New Testament? A suffering servant and a triumphal king. That's Jesus. Messiah, Hamashua. He's talking about Messiah here. Okay? So he's talking about the one who's going to come, which is Jesus. Now, there's another thing that he could be talking about. Yahweh says to Adonai, the other thing Adonai can be used for is God. This is so serious that the Masorites, who you don't need to remember that, but the guys who are really the guys who, who kept care of the Old Testament for us and got it to us, they got so serious about the proper name for God that they started calling him what? Adonai. So when they read something like this, they would actually read it, Adonai said to Adonai. Oh wait, there's a problem there, right? God said to God. So, David is either talking about the coming Messiah, or he's saying God said to God, which is kind of weird. Pastor Joe said to Pastor Joe. That's a weird day. Right? God said to God. Well, why is God talking to God? To put it differently, God the Father said to God the Son, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Because who does God share a throne with? Nobody. Nobody. So here's the thing. So it's either A, Yahweh saying to Messiah, sit at my right hand, he's saying to this guy, or God saying to God, because there's these two massive themes that run through the Old Testament. One is this guy who's going to come, and one is that God himself is going to come. And what do we have in Jesus? Messiah and God himself in one coming to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. Both. Fully God, fully human. Right? This is why in Matthew chapter 1, he says he'll give him two names. Emmanuel and Jesus. Jesus is Aramaic for who? Joshua. Who's Joshua? Kind of a messianic foreshadow. This guy who leads the people into the promised land. But he's just a dude. Jesus is the better Joshua, but Emmanuel means God among us. So God saves is his name, but that's a messianic title, and Emmanuel is not messianic, it's a God title. God among us. 
Jesus saves. Boom. The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. He goes on. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning and the dew of your youth. Uh, pardon me. The dew of your youth will be yours. So when this guy comes, this Messiah, who's Jesus, when Jesus comes, his people are going to offer him free, themselves freely. So here's the deal, right? If you're a Christian, Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sins and he's made you new and you have a new heart. That's the truth. Again, I don't care what last night looked like. I don't care what Thursday morning looked like. I don't care what Friday night looked like. I don't care how bad you failed last week. You're new. Right? And I don't care the junk you're stuck in, how addicted to X, Y, or Z you are, how deep down you've dug yourself in your own problems. Here's what I know. If you're a Christian, what's your heart of hearts? To freely give yourself to Jesus. To walk in the freedom that He's purchased for you. To not be bound by your addiction or your junk or whatever you dug yourself into. Your heart of hearts, if you're a Christian, is to follow Jesus. Right? Not, not the way you feel. Not the junk you feel stuck in. Your heart of hearts, if you can have anything in the world, is to follow Jesus. Right? And this is also what I know. This is good news for evangelism. Mission. Telling people about who He is. That when he's after somebody, I don't have to drag anyone kicking or screaming into the kingdom of God. Because when the Holy Spirit shows people who Jesus is, when the Holy Spirit shows you that you have been trying to get to God, but God is the one who has to come down and get to you, that you cannot earn his love, that he's the one that does it, when you actually see him, when, when, when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, I can't keep you from Jesus. If you don't know Jesus and you're here, Here's, here's what I need you to know. The number one thing I care about in your life is that you would know Jesus. That you would know who He is and that you would be His and He would be yours. But here's what you also need to know. If that's not you and you're here and you're checking it out and you just want to listen, hey, we're going to keep loving you. You can come to the 4th of July party. You can come to community group. You keep coming here on Sunday. You keep coming and we're going to keep loving you whether you meet Jesus or not. Right, And that needs to be true of all your friends who you want to know and every, all your neighbors. That yeah, the number one thing I want in your life is for you to be passionate about who Jesus is and know that He has made you free. And if that's not you, I'm going to keep loving you. I'm going to keep loving you. Right? But I also know that if you see Him, yeah, He took me kicking and screaming, but once He took me kicking and screaming, the last likely dude ever to become a Christian, once I saw who He was, that's all I wanted. The Lord, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a fun word to say. You're like, what is a priest of Melchizedek? Yeah, you're asking that question because he only shows up three times in the whole Bible <coughs> Hebrews, Genesis 14, and here. Um, here's some background. If you are an Israelite and you're hearing these things, you're very confused. Because on one side, you have the Levitical priesthood, and you have to be a Levite to be in this Levitical priesthood. 
And on the other side, you have the kingdom, which is in the line of Judah. You have to be in this family to be the king. And in this psalm, it's so clearly talking about this king and this priest at the same time. That's a little confusing. You want to get a little more confused? Go with me to Genesis chapter 14. And if you're like me, the first time I ever read this, my mind was blown. So Genesis is recorded by Moses a long, 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 long time before Jesus. Verse 17. Chapter 14. If you don't have it there, it should be on the... Yes! All right. Uh, 17. After his return... Here's the background. Uh, Abraham, he's still called Abram at this point in time, but we're talking about Abraham, has just had a gnarly fight to save his cousin or his nephew Lot, who is an idiot. Uh, Hermeneutical tool for understanding Genesis and understanding Lot. Lot is an idiot. Take that into Genesis with you, and you'll be like, yep, Lot is an idiot. Abraham goes to save his dumb, dumb nephew. Uh, After his return from the defeat of Chendelomer, you got to say it fast and with confidence, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him uh, at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, here he is again, and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. So we're in a boys and girls club, so it's grape juice. But the king of Salem brought out bread and wine. And if you do a quick search of the Old Testament, there aren't a lot of places where they talk about bread and wine. It's not like a common motif. So he brings out bread and wine to Abraham, this this priest, Melchizedek. And, And here's this parenthetical statement. He was priest of God Most High. Just so we're clear, even though we've never seen him before and we'll never see him again, and he's this priest after the order of Melchizedek, and it's all kind of mysterious and all that stuff, let's be clear, he's not a priest of some pagan temple. He is the priest of God Most High. Okay? He wants us to know that because it's important. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. What did I say about King David and the patriarchs? Who do they bow the knee to? Nobody. Who's Abraham bowing the knee to as he gives him a tenth of the stuff? Melchizedek. So this is one of two things happening. This is A, a typological foreshadow of Jesus. This is pointing to Jesus, that this is what he's going to be like. Or B, this is Jesus, pre-incarnate, showing up to meet with Abraham. I lean one way. I want to be careful where I don't have enough textual evidence to say, yeah, for sure it's Jesus, but I'm pretty sure it's Jesus. Same God yesterday, today, and forever. Didn't just show up at, you know, whenever. Okay, so Melchizedek. And then the, the, he, the author of Hebrews just points again and again and again and again. Jesus is a new kind of priest. And why is that important? Because the old priests were in charge of the old law and the old customs. And anybody who was stuck in those knew they were frustrating because the, the thing is that God was gracious to give people the instruction on in how to live in the wake of His glory and something to deal with the fact that when they screwed up and God's holy and they're not, they can pay the price by offering a sacrifice. The problem is you go in and you offer a sacrifice and you have to come back and do it tomorrow because it was all externals. 
It was working on the outside. It was working on being right on the outside. But there was someone who was coming, this Messiah, Jesus, who's going to stop it from being an outside-in thing to being an inside-out thing. It's a new priesthood. Hebrews is just all about the new deal. And the new deal is it's through Jesus' blood, and He's the last sacrifice, and He's the one to do it. And it's not about the things you do, but what Jesus has done. And that's the new priesthood. And Jesus is both. Verse 5. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. So Jesus Christ has come to save. He's come to pay the price for sin. He's come with the fact that God is holy and we're not. And we run around taking things that are made, things that exist, things that God made, and keep saying that that's God. And every time you take a thing, whether it's your job, or your money, your success, uh, your image, what other people think about you, and you take those things and you say, that's what counts in my life, you say to God, you're not God, this thing is God. You say... How many people follow me on the internet on some website that's going to be gone in three years? That's God in my life. That's what helps me sleep at night. Rather than knowing that through Jesus Christ, if you love Him, your name is written in the book of life. And that down here, you can be a nobody. But He who is the somebody came to earth and became a nobody so that you who are a nobody in God's eyes would be a somebody. Right? And He's come to save all who, come, all who call on His name. And at the same time, He's going to come and settle the score. He lets no sin go undone. He's going to bring justice to the world. He's going to settle every score and every injustice and every wickedness and every evil because He's a good God. And I think there's this beautiful picture in the book of Revelation when that happens when they're freaking out because no one's worthy to open the scroll to bring that final thing about. And they're freaking out and saying, who is worthy to open the scroll? It turns out it's the lion, Jesus, who is also the lamb. It's the one who died to save us from ourselves, to make us free, who says, come on in. Come on in. I've paid the price. Come in. Come in. It's the very thing He came to do. Okay, so our three things. Jesus is the answer. That's number one, right? He's going to settle the score, but He's made room for all of us through His cross. For all who would repent and believe, who all turn from their sin and turn to Him. Okay? And there is an injustice on planet Earth that He's not going to take care of and deal with when it's all said and done. Okay, so number two, we need to know that we have a, king, uh, a sovereign king. Uh, two words for Lord. Three. There's one that we translate Yahweh. I don't know why I'm doing that. It's hot. Getting delirious. There's one that means owner, and there's one, there's one that, that's translated capital L-O-R-D. That's, that's Yahweh. That's His proper name. And there's these two others. There's Baal, which means owner, and Adonai, which means sovereign. That what we need to know is that Jesus, yeah, He is the owner of everything. The cattle on a thousand hills all belong to Him. Yeah, absolutely. I want to affirm that completely. But the thing that Psalm 110 is trying to drive into us is that He is the one who is sovereignly over the temperature in Washington when we freak out, when my sister in Long Beach is like, what? It's cold out. Right? 
He's the one who's got the temperatures in the car. Do you ever think about when you're driving on 99 on the viaduct, that you're driving on 99 on the viaduct and all the engines aren't blowing up and the, the thing isn't falling down? There's a sovereign king at work there. Do you ever wonder when you see people at their worst why the world's not actually a worse place than it already is? There's a sovereign king at work there. But number three, we need to see this together, that he, Jesus is a kingly priest. And so I want us to hold them together as we look at the rest of them and ask what this actually means for us. Um, I'm going to flip a little bit. You can either follow along on the old projection screen or you can go with me in your Bible. But I want us to understand that everything I'm about to say is talking about the same person. Okay? So let's start in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year, verse 1, in the year King Uzziah died, and I saw, so it's rooted in an actual time and place, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And he called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, so clear, I mean, just imagine Seattle filled with the train of His robe. Imagine the Boys and Girls Club filled with the train of the robe of the ruling and reigning King Jesus, that he gets this pure picture that God is right and I have been wrong. He is light and I have been dark. And his response to seeing the holiness of God is this. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. When he sees who Jesus is, he understands the difference between himself and Jesus and he kind of freaks out about it. So this king, this glorious king, go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Starting 5. Same guy. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So, before the foundations of the earth, when God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit make a plan to redeem broken humanity, Jesus does not appeal and say, uh, a cross? You guys are crazy. I'm not going. He's not counted a thing to be grasped. Doesn't, doesn't argue. He's in. He's all in. Does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking on the form of what? A servant. What's a priest do? A priest is a servant. A priest is a servant. So God Himself takes on the form of a servant. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
His very priestly coming is the thing that makes him this worthy one to sit on the throne. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, 1 through 3. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, that's now, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. John chapter 1. He is the radiance of the glory. So the glory, if you're familiar with the Old Testament or Charlton Heston movies, um, God wrote the Ten Commandments. They sit in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. Over that box carried by people is God's actual manifest presence with His people. Pillar of smoke by day, fire by night. It lands in the temple, and that's where people go to actually meet with God in the presence of God as God manifests His presence in what? This pillar of smoke. You know what they call the pillar of smoke? Glory. He's saying this. The whole thing, if you want, to, if you want an awesome read, read through Hebrews again and again. It's going to be like, hey, we used to do it this way, but Jesus is way better. We used to do, God used to do this pillar of smoke thing. That was just a foreshadow for when Jesus Christ took on human flesh, came to earth and was with us and was among us and he was Emmanuel. Okay? The glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, so if you want to know God, get to know Jesus because he's God and everything God wants to say to you, he said in his son. What is the best way to get to know God? The Bible. Best way to get to know Jesus is the Bible. We don't get all 33 years. We get the greatest hits. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe because He's a king by the word of His power. But hear this. So king... Wait, wait. So we're king... Son, King, and then here we go back. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So again, he's sharing the throne with God. And here's the thing about sitting down. The picture for sitting down, it's done. It's finished. It's over. He's done it all. Last thing. Romans 8. So remember, this is all the same guy. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, that's Jesus, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's got any dirt on you? It is God who justifies. He's made you right. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died for you, so you could be made right with God. More than that, who is raised, as an acceptance of the sacrifice, who is at the right hand of God, being a king, but what's he doing at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us. What is he doing with his kingly role? He's being your priest. He's being your priest. So that when you have that thing that happens on Thursday morning, Jesus leans over. I don't know if this is how it actually happens. This is how it happens in my mind. Jesus leans over and says, covered by the blood. Covered by the blood. Because here's a deep, biting reality that you need to understand. 
because we get off on this, and I know, I know I say this one often, but I think we forget it more often. So I'm going to say it again, and I'll say it again next week. As Christians, we often have a, a graph in our mind where Jesus paid the price for all of our sins coming up to us meeting Him, and then everything after that we do on our own. You're on your own, kid. Figure it out. Oh, you sinned? Try harder. You sinned? Read your Bible more. You sinned? Pray more. Hey, I want your holiness. You will not go to bed and wake up unless God wants to do a miracle, and if He does, praise the Lord. You know, you're not going to go to bed and wake up an expert on the synoptic Gospels. You might go to bed and wake up a Christian, praise the Lord. But you're not going to go to bed and wake up just knowing God's Word. I want you to read His Word and study His Word. But at the end of the day, you need to know that that's not the thing that makes you right with God. It's Jesus Christ that makes you right with God. And when I understand how right I am with God, I want to know Him more. I want my holiness. I don't want to go to bed and wake up and have another day where I didn't pray, I didn't read my Bible, I didn't think about God, and I, I didn't go to Him in my need and in my desperation. I want to be holy. I want to follow Him. But I need to know that it's the Holy Spirit that's going to empower me. And all of my holiness flows from His priestly kinghood, His priest kingness in my life. I want to be holy. I want you to be holy. But that's not what makes you right with God. We're holy because He's made us right with Him. Because He's already called you holy. So what does this all mean for us? I need a towel. What does this mean for us? Well, when we don't believe this, a couple things happen. When you don't believe He's the King, you try and take control. You try and control yourself, you try and control their circumstances, and you don't trust or depend on the king who's the king, the king of kings and the lord of lords. When you don't believe he's your priest, you try and be your own mediator. You try and be self-justifying. God, don't you remember all those quiet times I had last month? Why did my car break down? Wrong. Maybe your car broke down because we live in a broken world. Maybe, maybe when you walk to the 7-Eleven to get a slur because it's so freaking hot, you're actually going to tell somebody about Jesus. I don't know. I don't know why your car broke down. But it's not because you did or didn't spend enough time in, your, in the Word last week. Okay? Because here's the thing. At the core of so much of our sin is that we either, or how we deal with it even, is that we don't believe He knows or we don't believe He knows. We either don't act like the king actually knows what's going on and that like day and night are no difference to him and he knows all your junk and all your mess and all your grime and everything that's going on in your life because he does. Or we don't think he knows and we don't understand that as a high priest he was made like us in every way so that he could be a faithful high priest and relate to us in every way. You were tempted, he was tempted. You were rejected, he was rejected. You feel forsaken, he was forsaken. He knows. He, he lost friends. He had a human body. It broke down. He knows. And also, he's the king. You think you got this thing that happened on Thursday night like he doesn't know about it? Um, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. But here's the thing, we can take it to him. Three things I want us to see in the world. Drink some water and go. Understanding this, that Jesus is our priest-king, king-priest, priest-king, king-priest, priest-king, 
Understanding that Jesus is our king priest changes worship. Because he's the king and he's the priest, which means he's transcendent and he's eminent. It means when we get up to sing songs that I've never even, I don't even know where Eric gets some of these things. They are amazing old timey songs. Praise the Lord for the saints who've come before. We're not singing into thin air. We are singing to Jesus who is on the throne and we are singing to Him and He's present here with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is among us. He is still Emmanuel. He is still present with us in the Holy Spirit. So we're singing to God who is real on the throne, transcendent, holy, perfect, beautiful, wonderful, amazing, and who's eminent. Who's with us? Who came to get us? That it's not us who gets up to him, it's him who came down for us. Because he's the king that changes us. He changes us. Uh, one of the greatest objections I had personally, and I hear often and have heard from people as I've told them about Jesus, is something to the effect of I would believe Jesus if I didn't have to blank. If Jesus could make a concession for me on this thing that I really want to keep doing, even though I think it might actually cost me if I become a Christian, then I could be cool with Jesus. I could be okay there. If I can keep blah, 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 blah. I don't care what it is. When we do that, we stand in judgment either over God's Word or over God. Right? We want to be king. Jesus, I will be one of your people if you do what I want you to do. And all of a sudden, He's not the king I am. Right? We stand in judgment over the text. We stand in judgment over His Word. We stand in judgment over Him and we miss that He is the King and He calls the shots. And here's the beautiful thing about Him calling the shots. My tendency is to take created things, a chair, I won't grab it, I'll leave it, no props. Talk myself off the ledge, right? We take things like comfort, a chair, I could just sit down. We take created things and we make them ultimate things. We make them God in our life. We take them, or, 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 or we take our body, or beer, or uh, money, or our job, and we use them the way we want to use them, and we miss that God actually knows how they're to be used best. He built them for a purpose, and they're a good purpose if we use them the way that He built them to be used. And He is not afraid to show you how to use them. He's not afraid to empower you to use those things, to ride on up to His glory and point to Him and say, Jesus, you made coffee. Thank you. You are awesome. Rather than Jesus, I'm going to use coffee to do one more all-nighter because the A is not enough. It needs to be an A+. Not what it's for. It's not for you to just destroy your body. We have coffee, drink coffee. I don't know that anyone's drinking coffee today, but you can drink coffee. There's ice cubes, you can put it in the coffee. <laughs> because the reality is, if you have an encounter, if, if, if these things, if anything I've said is true, if anything I've said is true, if he's transcendent, if he's eminent, if he's come, if he shed his blood to make me right, to make me holy, to make me his, to empower me with his Holy Spirit, to do these things, that every word that comes from my mouth is empowered by his grace and mercy. If anything is true here, and the reality is you're not being called to a bunch of rules, you're being called to a relationship with that guy, with that God, would you not expect that an encounter with God wholly transcendent and completely eminent would radically change who you are? If you actually knew that, God, would that not change who you are? 
It would, and it will, and it has. Whew. Worship. When we have this kind of worship, uh, this comes from uh, Dr. Eric Mason at Epiphany Fellowship in Philly. And if you want to hear some good preaching, download his podcast. He is amazing. Um, but the good doctor has pointed out that worship isn't, isn't uh, it's a, it's, we, we tend to have these little buckets for worship, and it's a, it's a whole package. right? So it's my identity is actually different. As I worship Jesus, it changes who I am. And I'm made new. I'm a new person. I have a new identity, worshiper of Jesus. My new identity flows out into a new lifestyle. It changes how I live. It changes the day-to-day. It changes how I interact with my neighbors. It changes how I interact with my kids. It changes how I interact with you. It changes how I drink coffee. It changes how I eat food. It changes what I do with money. It changes how I care about people who live 10,000 miles away. All these things are changed by Him because what He has done and the new identity and this new lifestyle also result in expression. Getting up and shouting in the heat about how awesome Jesus is. A man born without an inside talking voice with children born without inside talking voices. This is what it's like around my house. But it's all of them. I'm new. It changes how I live. And it changes the things that come out of my mouth and how I respond and how I worship. Um, Two. Understanding this, and we'll keep these last two really brief. Understanding this changes hard times. It changes loneliness. It changes sickness. Uh, it changes poverty. It changes all of these things. Why? And I'm, I don't mean this. What you need to know, he's a priest now and a king later. He's a king now and a priest later. But what I'm really getting at is right now he knows where you're at. He can relate to you right in your seat. Right now he knows And he's the king who's going to put everything back the way it's supposed to be. He's the king who's going to wipe every tear from every eye. He's the king who's going to restore a broken place. He's a king who's going to restore a broken people. And that's what he's going to do. So I'm banking on tomorrow. I'm banking on what he's going to do. And it is going to be amazing. As we all sing songs perfectly to him. And my voice never cracks. And he's God forever. And he's a priest right now in whatever you're dealing with. And number three, number three, um, Understanding Jesus is priest king changes our mission. Our mission's not the mission of Anchor Church. Our mission is the mission of Jesus Christ in Seattle. Our mission is not to make the Boys and Girls Club the most happening place on Sunday morning. Though, it can be. Sometimes when it's hot and we say things like, rejoice! It's like, come on guys, rejoice! And we're kind of, Rejoice. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, we carry this message. We carry the message that the king has come and he has come and he's fought the battle against Satan, sin, and death. He's the king who will liberate you from your sin. He's the king who has come. And all who would lay down their arms, everyone who would repent, everyone who would turn from sin and turn to Jesus is in. Be saved. Be forgiven. Be Free, the king has come and the king has done it. That's a message we carry. I'm not telling you a bunch of rules. I'm telling you Jesus. That's my aim. That's my goal. Yeah, there are things we do in response to who he is, but the front-loaded reality is the king has come, died on the cross, risen from the dead, ruling and reigning, and he'll save you from yourself today. Not only that, because he's a priest, we get to be priests. We are a, 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 a nation of priests. 
We get to live our whole life in worship with the King forever. And there's something beautiful and bright and shining when our whole life is worship. It is the container for that message. The message is the message. You can't love anyone without telling them the gospel into the kingdom. Right? No one is going to look at what you do and say, oh, uh, Bible-believing, non-denominational Christian. What, where do you go on Sunday mornings? They're going to look at you and say, what, uh, what yoga studio do you go to? You seem so serene and peaceful. However, that life is the container for the reality. So when you're the only dad at the park who's not checking your email while you're pushing your kid, that when you tell people, I live differently because Jesus is risen from the dead, they'll be like, I saw that. You'll go to the park and see everybody freaking reading their emails while they're pushing their kids. Live in the now, man. Okay? At work, when you come up to someone and you say, I totally, totally sin against you. Will you forgive me? I should not have done that. I totally sniped you. I totally took that shift. I totally did this. I totally did that. I totally should have done that. So that when you say, yeah, I'm a sinner saved by grace, they're like, I know you are. If you have siblings who are not Christians, I would really encourage you, don't play Mr. Cleaned Up Dude. Because they know. My sister does not necessarily believe the things of Jesus, but she knows I'm a sinner. Right? Done. Check. <laughs> so this is what we got to do. Receive it. If you're trying to control your life, you need to receive right now. There is a king on the throne, and it ain't you. He's got it. He had yesterday. He's got tomorrow. He's got right now. Receive it. If you feel junked up, messed up, grimed up, in a hole, in a pit, and you're just trying to pull yourself up by your bootstrings, you need to realize they're not going to work. But there's a priest who will get down in the grime with you and he'll pull you out of it. Receive it. His name's Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill us with your presence, that the train of your robe would be manifest in our hearts and in our minds, that we'd have this mind among ourselves that is ours in you, that we would be feet-washing servants who care more about our friends meeting you than how cool or uncool they think we are. We pray for this city that needs you so bad that they would see who you actually are, not just who they think you are. That God, we would repent right now of every place we've tried to sit on the throne. I'm a bad king. You're a good king. I don't want to be on the stupid throne. I want you on the throne in my heart of hearts. God, help us to know what to do. Help us to repent of, uh, of trying to save ourselves of trying to find freedom in the law in trying um, to be the king and trying to be the priest. We know that we have this kingly priest and it's you, Jesus. Save this city. Save us. Help us to see who you are. Help us to sing even though it's hot to your glory. We love you, Jesus, and praise things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.